those of you who've been here the last couple nights heard me introduce my friend John Cornette. Let me just say that uh, he is my friend, and uh, I'm privileged this morning to introduce him to you that haven't yet heard him. I worked for John as a, uh, he called me assistant pastor or associate pastor, but uh, we were a team and always worked together and always treated me well. And um, I think I mentioned Friday night that uh, we all have people in our lives that we consider to be mentors and people that have influenced us in great ways. And this would be one for me. So I probably learned as much from my time with Brother John as I did in any other place I've ever been in my life. So. Would you make welcome this morning, Brother John Cornett, as he brings a message from you. I can't wait to hear myself. That sounds so good. <laughs> Brother Bill has said it before, but I, I don't want to embarrass him. I sure want to give a big hit that uh, he was uh, I, the best associate pastor I've ever had in 41 years of ministry. No doubt about it. We love him, Beth. We. We went to their house one time. We were watching some movie. I'm there. I can't remember what it was. Remember, we were laughing for almost. Trains, planes, that was in Ohio, wasn't it? Somewhere. We were. Trains, planes? Yeah, whatever it was. Man, it was fun. <laughs> it's, thank you for your gracious hospitality. Your attendance uh, just been so kind to us, and uh, we sure appreciate it. Let's open our Bibles. I'm going to have you hold your place. Open your Bible first to 3 John. Or as they say in England, 3 John. We were just over there. This is one of our missionaries in Swindon, England. Where they make the Mini Coopers, if you wonder what Swindon is, northwest of London. And I was amazed. They talked about one John, two John, three John. And I always kid him. I'd say, I'm an American. I wouldn't say I'm American. I'm an American. I say third John. So whether it's three John or third John, that's where we're at. Third John. Then we'll go get back to the book of Acts, chapter 11, for just a moment. The elder to the beloved gave some of my love and truth. Oh, by the way, I'm reading from the ESV today. Two Friday and Saturday, read from the New King James. Your uh, uh, translation, but uh, they do such a good job of ESV uh, on this passage that I decided to use that. So uh, you're not losing your hearing, and I'm reading correctly. It's just a different translation, okay? The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a strange, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way, on their journey, in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we have to support people like these, and we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Theocrates, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and kicks them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does, does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony. You know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. <coughs> Father heaven, how we love this little book. What a precious, precious document it is. Part of your inspired and errant word. I pray, Lord, as we consider these verses today, that you would open our hearts to the truth. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. 
Now keep a marker there if you can and turn back with me to the book of Acts chapter 11. For just a few moments, I'm, I'm uh, realization of the time we have, so I'll be quick. But back to what we talked about, the theme was Friday night, Saturday night, and then again this morning, uh, Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the most distant, or remotest parts of the earth. That's our responsibility, to make sure the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. We saw how the gospel went out last night. We talked about how it went from Jerusalem and all Judea into Samaria because God had to force the people in Jerusalem who were so content and enjoying the blessings of God like we do in America. They enjoyed being in that church. What a church to be in. The growing, happening, blessed church of Jerusalem. God had to send them out by persecution through the death of Stephen. And they began to go out and some went to Samaria, including Philip, we saw it last evening, and Philip went to the Samaritans, and believe it or not, God opened the Samaritans' hearts to the truth. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were so amazed that it happened. Two things happened. Number one, Satan, through Elias, the sorcerer, began to say, no, you know what, I think I would like that. I would like to sabotage this message. Well, that happened, and they took care of that, but they sent Peter and John, two apostolic representatives, who went there to make sure that this was really legitimate, and they vetted the ministry there, and they went back, and the amazing thing is, they went back, they went to the village of Samaritans, Peter and John, and they, or James and John, excuse me, and there they were giving the gospel to the Samaritans. So now, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but what about the uttermost? It wasn't in the house of Cornelius, but rather to an Ethiopian, 500 miles from Jerusalem, who was on a desert road. And the gospel was open to him through Philip, the uh, deacon, Priest of the gospel, the man got saved, went back, we believe, went back to Ethiopia, which was Nubia, part of the Egyptian area there, and probably the founder of what's called the Coptic Church. Well, that's the other, in fact, the Romans we saw last night, the Romans referred to Ethiopia, especially that Nubian part, as the end of the earth, because <laughs> it was the end of the stretch of their empire. There they were. That's not where missions ended, in not chapter, Acts chapter 9. Saul, the most unlikely convert, got saved. Saul, who wanted to destroy the church, became a child of God. Then Peter, in Acts chapter 10, in a dream saw God tell him to go to the house of Cornelius and preach the gospel. And the gospel is open, the Bible says, to the Gentiles. Now it's really spread. You come to Acts chapter 11, I want you to look at Acts 11, 18. Something happened once again. When they heard these things, they fell silent, the conversion of Cornelius. When they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles, not just to Cornelius, to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now it's been opened. In Acts chapter 19, how did this happen? Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, here we are again from Acts 8, now Acts 11. The persecution spread the men to Samaria. Now beyond Caesarea, to other areas. Verse 19, those who were scattered because of the persecution arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Now Hellenists could be Hellenistic Jews, Jews that live culturally and speak like Greeks, but here is probably Greeks, Gentiles, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So now the gospel spread probably from some of these people from Cyrene who had Pentecost and heard the gospel and began to take it back home. Now we're really, as they say, on a roll. 
The first missionary church was not Jerusalem. Jerusalem, like a lot of churches today, has to be forced into missions. Antioch, my favorite church in the New Testament. Antioch was a groundbreaking church. Antioch was a church that was not beset by tradition. It was a very Gentile church and had some tremendous Bible teachers. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, we would call this the first calling of foreign missions officially. Acts 13, 1 and 2. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon. I want you to think about these names. Simeon is called Niger. He was a black man. You get the word Nigeria from that. Lucius of Cyrene, Cyrene, if you want to say it. Manian, a, long, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here's all these great Bible teachers, but the Bible says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, think who is set apart. We'll come back to this in just a moment. Now, the church is set to go beyond Caesarea, beyond Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. And God has been preparing a man named Saul in Acts chapter 9, who is one of the teachers here. Saul's third missionary, he had three missionary journeys. His last missionary journey, we believe, and we really know, probably ended around AD 57, roughly. No one's back there to tell us, and so no one can dispute it because all the people who are alive are dead now, so they can't. So we'll say AD 57. This is not the end of the missions outreach. So many times when we have missions conferences, we focus on Acts and say, well, that's it, no, no, no. Didn't stop there. The little book of 3 John was written probably around AD 85. Again, we don't know, but it seems from the internal external evidence it was probably written around 85 AD. Long after Paul had finished his third missionary journey. And it gives us a window of insight into how churches like this and churches like Agape Baptist in Nevada, North Carolina are to deal with missions. How do we treat a missionary? How do we sponsor and support a missionary? That's all we're in Acts. I want to bring this up to speed. Go with me to 3 John. Diotrephes loved to be in first place. He was in opposition to missions in this little church in 3 John. He was in opposition to everyone but himself. Huh. How many churches are crippled because of a power struggle? Isn't that true? Some person says they won't happen because of me. That was Diotrephes. And the gospel could have stopped in, in a sense right there that some of these men would have lost support. But it didn't matter. There's, there's another person at church named Gaius who was in tune with missions. Geographies opposed men, but R.C. Zelensky, who is one of the few Lutheran scholars I would quote, but he's a tremendous expositor, says this. The request that Gaius may receive and help on with the missionaries whom John is now sending out, adding... This, this letter, get these words from Lemsky, this letter serves as a credential and as a recommendation for them. I don't know why then in so few missions conferences, 3 John is not the focus. Because this is the, I don't say the sine qua non, but this is a, a centerpiece of how churches such as this should support missions. We're going to look at these verses here, especially 5 through 8. The church was hampered because of Diotrephes. So John focused on Gaius, a wealthy man who probably the church might have met in his house. We don't know. But he focused on Gaius and gives him some instructions what he should do. 
since John's church, this church wouldn't help him, then he said, and I want you to help him. How do we know this? Because of the, uh, the pronouns and verbs in verses 5 and 6 are singular in the Greek and English. We can't appear that way, but in Greek they're singular. He's not speaking to the church. He's speaking to Gaius. He said, since the church won't, you need to. Now, you're in a good position here because the church wants to, right? And Brother Bill wants to. So, hey, we're on the same page there. But what he tells Gaius are some things, that four things here. Don't be discouraged when you hear four. I'll try to move quickly. If I don't, you can't fire me. And he's already given my love offering. So I'm okay. Four things I want you to see. I am aware that the mind can only absorb what the seed can endure, so we'll move ahead. First, we should deal faithfully with God's strangers. This is close to my heart after 40 plus years of ministry. We should deal faithfully with God's strangers. Verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you are doing in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers that they are. I call this dealing with God's strangers. These are men, and perhaps their spouses because they can travel with them. That These people really did not. They came to the church seeking support, much like missionaries come to this church or our church seeking support. The first thing we need to do is deal faithfully. Uh, the New Living Translation says this, Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you share uh, care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. The word strangers there is the word xenos. My other brother lived in Xenia, Ohio. And Xenia means place of strangers. Now, I've been to Xenia. It's not very strange, but Xenos means stranger. You've never laid eyes. They're not only different that you don't know who they are, you don't know their name, you don't even know about them. That's what happens in churches. Folks come and we see them on video, we see them on Skype. <laughs> Just a little dig there. <laughs> Skype is tough. And we, we learn little by little at them. We look at the lawn and think how green iron is and the window back there was either the only spirit one looking at that or some other thing. Man, that's pretty. So they come and they're strangers. But wait a minute, since the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24, 1, we are simply stewards of God's money. That's all we are. And God requires his stewards to be what? Faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. It's required in stewards that we be faithful. So we have to deal faithfully. When money is given to God's work, I always tell people when it hits the plate, it's our responsibility. But we have to remember we answer to God for what we do with the money. And we have to be very careful about that. What we promise, or I don't want to get ahead of myself, I left a blank out the other night and it caused general panic in the audience. So <laughs> Faithful, consistent support of missionaries is far more effective than one-time hit-and-miss gifts. I'm not talking about to the ends of the earth. That's a wonderful thing. But how many times I've heard missionaries saying, I know they mean it. They come back and thank you for your faithful support. Brother, it, it surprised me when I found out we had a missionary in our church in New Jersey. It surprised me to find out how many churches, if offerings are bad, if there's a summertime or the secretary's sick, they don't send us support. That blew me away. I thought, are you kidding me? It's so important to be faithful to the missionaries month after month after month. No, this money is going to the board and it will be coming to my account so they can plan ahead. So we need to be faithful in how we deal with God's strangers. What we promise missionaries, we should faithfully, faithfully provide. Our church, we have a little different mission program. It's called Faith Promise. And every year we promise 
this amount of money emissions every year, and we have a board up there, we make sure hopefully that comes in, and we make sure that the missionaries get it. We have a separate account, and I know you do, I'm sure, and a separate account, every dollar goes there to monthly support, special needs, or love offerings when they come through. And we like to say, we want to be faithful. None of this church will be faithful. So the missionaries can say, thank the Lord, Friendship Bible Church, I can count on them. We need to be faithful. But number two, we should demonstrate, not just be faithful to God's strangers, but we should demonstrate love to God's strangers. The first part of verse 6, who testified of your love before the church. <laughs> love for brothers and sisters who are willing to go to the ends of the earth for the good news should be expressed in the manner we treat them, personally, financially. My wife and I are so different. She is a coal miner. She hates to say that, but she is. She's a coal miner daughter from West Virginia. Grew up in the gateway to the coal fields, Boone County, West Virginia. My dad was in retail sales. We moved every two years, so it, 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 it affected me. <laughs> so when we sit and see things, we see things through completely different lenses. But as I was sitting there watching these, especially the, the last group of new tribes, as young as they were, I thought, wow. Didn't you just love them? Didn't you just look at them and think, what a sweet couple. And she had such a sweet smile. I love the outtakes, by the way. <laughs> and you think about couples in America that, may I say, they're so spoiled, they wouldn't think about it. Here's a young couple that are probably far happier than many young couples in America that have everything. But that love flows out because they're part of our family. You go to a restaurant, you don't know somebody from Adam, and you see them hold hands and bow their head and pray. What happens? Love flows, doesn't it? It's a brother, a sister in Christ. So we should demonstrate love to God's strangers, personally. It's, it's ironic to me that those who make the greatest sacrifice to spread the gospel are often the least esteemed in the church. I told Brother Bill this. I don't know if that's Can I go a little bit over time with him? There's no hole here to fall through. I don't have to go out that little door by the, uh, by the steps either. Okay. There's a well-known missionary we supported in New Jersey many years named Joshua Felix in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Joshua's done an amazing, amazing job. Our church had a pretty good missions program in New Jersey, so we would... Uh, I would ferry the missionaries around. They would fly into Philadelphia or Newark, New Jersey. We'd pick them up, and, and I, I dropped them off at a church not far from us. I picked Joshua up to bring him to our church for another service. And I said, how are you doing, Brother Joshua? He said, oh, I'm close to death. I said, are you sick? He said, no, I'm allergic to cats. I said, what's that got to do with anything? He said, the pastor put me in a spare bedroom with the cats. <laughs> he said, and there were cat droppings all along the wall. That same guy had a well-known pastor from Indiana come through, put him up at a Cherry Hen Hilton, rented him a car, and got him, and ready for this, tiger milk cookies. What in the world are they? How do you milk a tiger? <laughs> tiger milk cookies. Put him in a spare bedroom with cats and cat smell. We put him up in the nicest hotel we had, the same place we put the president of my college when he came through and spoke. Because that's what the book of James said. Took him to another church, a huge church in Newcastle, uh, Delaware. I called the pastor. What do you want me to deposit the missionary? 
He said, General Anthony Wayne Hotel. Now, if you've ever been in Newcastle County, Delaware, that's on Route 13. It's a prostitute area. He had the same guy that, that, that pastor had in North Jersey, Central Jersey, had that same well-known Bible teacher speaker and put him at a nice Hilton and furnished everything for him. Put this guy in a flea bag with prostitutes around. How many heard of Manning other than this? Or Simon of Niger? But you've heard of Barnabas. You've heard of Paul. Who did God call? He doesn't call the worst. He calls the best. An average guy. A below average guy. Witness us. <laughs> we can pastor the United States. Brother, I looked at the guy climbing the tower. My knees melted. I had to get up courage to go up to the second story. Safety belt. <laughs> it takes a different breed to leave your home, to leave your family, to learn a language, to eat unbelievable stuff. I hope our international dinner doesn't have unbelievable stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we should treat them the same, if not better, than the best known speaker in America that comes to our church. Amen? Amen. We should, but we don't. Well, our love must extend beyond the missionaries. I love when this young man talked about Hudson Taylor. One of the first missionary books I ever read was a little book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. I fell in love with that book and with the idea of China in the mission and the cutting edge things that he did. He let his blonde hair grow long, dyed it, and put in pigtails and put on the clothing of a Chinese teacher to reach the people in China. And critics in Europe and in England said, How dare he! People came to China, came to Hudson Taylor and said they want to go to the missionary. <laughs> and he would say, why do you want to go to China? And he said, because I love the Chinese. He said, the Chinese are not lovable. He said, you love the Chinese, you'll quit. You must love Jesus Christ supreme. So not only the missionaries, not only the souls without Christ, we should love them. They're not always lovable. You know why? Because we're not lovable apart from Christ. So we need to love missionaries, love the souls of those without Christ, but most of all, we should love God supremely. Because if you love God supremely, where you live is not going to matter. If you love God supremely, how, you, how, you, how people minister to you or how you're ministered to or how they treat you is not going to matter. What matters is you're serving Jesus Christ. And that's what they did. They went out, why? For the sake of the name. They didn't go out to stay at a Holiday Inn. They didn't go out and get love offerings. They didn't go out and get renowned. They went out for Jesus Christ. When missionaries come, we need to love them because they love souls and because we all love Jesus Christ. I look at these. I, I saw that same video that Jim Hill showed us, and I was glad to see it again. That, that, that touches me. That touched, you know what really touched me? I, I think that one blonde is probably on a British bus because we were jostled around on the British bus and I recognized the yellow rails I kept grabbing. And I looked at that and I thought, you talk about a hopeless situation. You go to Oxford Circus in London at 5 or 6 in the evening and watch all the hopeless faces of young people <laughs> desperately looking for something to make the life matter. 
You're just laying in the bus here in Romans chapter 8. Wow. We need to understand. We need to deal faithfully and demonstrate love to such people. Why? God opened our hearts to our truth. Let that sink in. If he didn't, we wouldn't believe. God opened our hearts. God has put us in a great country where we can hear the gospel. In North Carolina, there's so many churches that I almost didn't go there. I thought, oh, good grief. There were six Baptist churches in Salem County, New Jersey. There's probably six within 10 miles of my church in Meadows. But the Lord is still working, so we're glad for that. But think of people that would have to go 50 miles even to hear the gospel. We should love God supremely and realize that God opened our hearts. God gave us the, uh, the, the opportunity to hear the gospel. And God has commanded us to go. We've seen that already. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Plus, one of his commandments, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to every creature. So, if we're not giving the gospel, we're disobedient to Jesus Christ. Does that mean we don't love him? If we love God, then we need to obey God. I can say I love my wife, but if I didn't uh, do things that please her and, and make her happy, what kind of love is that? The missionary of South America, Patrick Jenkins, tells a funny story, I think. His family was living in the jungle. They moved to a different jungle area. They had to clean a new home. And one thing they had to clean was snakes. <laughs> had to clean from snakes, rodents, bugs, and mold. As they were cleaning, there was this loud, loud buzzing noise. This big beetle flew by the missionary's wife's face, and he went, ah! Her daughter said, oh, Mom, you scared me for heaven's sake. She said, honey, that's the only reason I'm here, <laughs> for heaven's sake. you got to listen to that and get it. Why do people go? They go for heaven's sake. Well, third thing, we should provide for the needs of God's strangers. Look at verse 6 and 7. That's part of verse 6. You do well. Here we get to the meat of the thing. You do well to send them on, the, in, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. I want us to think about that word. This translates, send them on the way. It's a Greek word called tempo. Kind of, kind of trying to sound like a disease. I'm sorry you're a pro tempo. <laughs> but it's really not. Propempo is a neat word. It means to accompany, escort, help on one's journey by furnishing things necessary. Propempo means to furnish what someone needs on a journey. And that's how it's, it's used almost always. I don't worry, I know third on this. That's always used in missionaries. Everett Harrison, in his book Interpreting Acts, said this word denoted far more than saying goodbye. It would just see you. More than that, it involved provision for the journey, including arrangements for security when necessary, and sometimes arrangements in advance for overnight stay. Linsky, again, adds this. This does not mean to send only with a friendly goodbye, but with adequate supplies. Since they traveled on foot and often covered considerable distances until some other congregation, or some friend like Gaius gave them new supplies, the sending forward required money. <laughs> so what Gaius was, or what John was saying to Gaius, send them on the way in a manner worthy of God. 
means simply give them what they need, the food, the supplies, passage, places to stay, and money so they can go on the mission. Why? They're gone out for the sake of the name. Send them on a way in a manner worthy of God. Acts chapter 15, verse 3. I'll just read these here. I'm just going to machine gun these through for the sake of time. Uh, all these have pro-pimple in them. They're all about missions. Listen to what it says. Acts 15, 3. So being sent on the way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail conversion of the Gentiles. Romans 15, 24. Hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, Paul says, and be helped on my journey by you. 1 Corinthians 16, 6, Paul says, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. 1 Corinthians 16, 11, about his compadre Timothy. Help him on his way in peace and may return to me. 2 Corinthians 1, 16, I want to visit on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. Have you sent me on my way to Judea? One more, Titus 3, 13, NIV. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the Lord, and Apollos on the way. See that they have everything they need. That's so clear, isn't it? What is the responsibility of Friendship Bible Church as much as they, you can do it? To send missionaries on the way. Supplies, help, shelter, and provision. So they can go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what John was saying to Gaius. But consider how we help them on the way. In a manner Worthy of God. Not worthy of Christians. A manner worthy of God. If I read this right, how would God send them forward? <laughs> there are horrors. I'm sure our brother can tell you horrors. <laughs> this is a true story. A church in Michigan had a ladies' missionary society that asked you to bring old clothes and shoes, but you could take the buttons off first if you needed them. They packed, I am not kidding, packed the missionary burial with old clothes without buttons. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this same church, who is populated by no doubt insane people, <laughs> said, Used tea bags, and am I telling the truth? Used tea bags are acceptable. Now, my wife, cold minor daughter, uses a tea bag until the tea's clear. <laughs> I, on the other hand, the aristocratic travel, travel one time in the hot water and you're dead, tea bag. You're never coming back again. Used tea bags. Put them in a spare room. Put them in a flop house. We should do the best we can do for those who aren't staying in the States, who aren't living on good salaries, who are not driving superhighways, but are living in primitive areas in many cases, struggling with food, <coughs> sold their car, sold their car. How do we help them? What would God had us do. In a manner worthy of God. Why? Well, because they've gone out for the sake of the name. I, I like what I, Howard Marshall says. It was important to remind the churches not to treat missionaries like beggars and so bring discredit on the name of God. 
the, the God to whom they were looking for their support. It's better that such provisions err on the side of generosity than stinginess. I really admire the ministry of John MacArthur. That gets me in hot water with some independent Baptists, but so what? I admire the ministry of John MacArthur. One time he said something I thought was really good. He said the elders and he were discussing how much to give this particular speaker. It's not that it was my gift, by the way. <laughs> and he mentioned, this is what we ought to do. They had like 50-some elders. He said, well, I think it's what we ought to do. And the guy said, that's a bit much. What would he do with it? John McCarthy said, what would you do with it? And it dawned on the guy, yeah. Better, better, better to err on the side of generosity than the side of stinginess. Throw your used tea bags away. You want to do something missionary, send them money, buy the new clothes, do what you can. We, uh, we're going to London, we call She uh, contacted by Skype. Uh, Steve Mann in England. And she said, what can we bring you? He was such a spiritual guy. He said, Fritos. <laughs> and she said, wax paper. I said, wait, you're not in Mozambique. You're, you're in North London. They have parchment paper over there, you know. It's not quite as good as American wax paper. So we took the wax paper and Fritos. Try to get that through the TSA. <laughs> What's in the bag? Fritos and wax paper. <laughs> Those freedoms have been at 30,000 feet over Iceland. Yes, we flew cheap. Iceland air. Don't do it. <laughs> Pay the extra. And we opened it. <laughs> oh, those freedoms were all because they've been at 30,000 feet. You know? He was so happy to get those. You know what? We were happy to give them. Some folks have given some extra money from the missionaries group in, in New Jersey, and we took some money because she wanted to stay, and we also gave her some American money to take back with her. We weren't like, to look at us wonderful people. We just, we could not, I could not wait to give them the freedoms and find out why in the world they want to wax paper. Do the best you can for missionaries. Why? They have gone out. The word there is ex ercomai. The Net Bible says ex almost always refers to some sort of missionary activity. It's used in Paul's travel in Acts 14.20 and it's setting out on his second missionary journey, Acts 14.50. It means, ex means dedicated determination, leaving much behind. When they set out on their mission, they're not coming back. I like what I heard a preacher say years and years ago, and I've never forgotten. When Jesus said, take up your cross... He said, that's not rededicating your life. That's ending your life. You take a cross, it's a one-way trip. You're going to the place of death and not coming back. Missionaries, when they go to the field, well, they come home for a little. But they're not, they're not coming back. They've gone out. They've left family. They've left their culture. They've left their comforts to go for the sake of the name. I love that. Not Tranquil Radio or BIMI or Baptist World Missions. The name Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ lives, it changes everything. And they're going for the sake of the name. One more thing. Said they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing of the Gentiles. Pastors are blessed. 
every morning, every Monday morning, I get to go into my office there in Nevin, North Carolina, and sit down and start doing something I absolutely love doing. Studying God's Word, preparing messages. <laughs> what a blessing. And people pay me. I actually get a story. Sometimes it's almost embarrassing. Because, in fact, some guys say, well, you guys only work one day a week. I always say, yeah, it's great. Go to Bible college and find out. You enjoy your one day a week work. Missionaries can't do They can't go to a country and they can't work. They can't go and get money from the people that they're trying to reach. It's only us that can do it. They went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing of the Gentiles. In fact, they couldn't take it from the people they were trying to evangelize. Look at what Paul said. Listen, 2 Corinthians 11, 9. When I was with you, I was in need. I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia to supply my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening in any way. He went to read some Corinthians. He didn't ask for money from the Corinthians. He was making tents by vocational pastor until these two men came. And then he could quit making tents and start preaching full time. And then God really began to bless. What a testimony it was. Finally, we'll be finished. We have an obligation to partner with God's strangers. Verse 8. Therefore, all this is true, therefore, we ought to support people like these, huh, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Our brother wasn't just uh, trying to fill out time. I know. This church does have a stake in the souls that are saved throughout the world. That's what this says. That we may be fellow workers for the truth. And that Bible says the use of the first person plural here, it's gone from singular to plural now, stands in contrast to the pagans mentioned in the previous verse, and is thus to be understood and inclusive of all true Christians, the author John gives, and all believers. The word ought is a word that means to be morally obligated in Greek. A final man to be morally obligated to owe a debt. Missionary support is not an option. It's an obligation. And we can share in the blessing. We're fellow workers. I love that word. Time's up, but fellow workers soon air God. I love that term because it's used by Paul, so, I think, ten times in Romans. Greet so-and-so, my fellow workers. Timothy, my fellow worker. Wow. You are fellow workers with a brother. You are fellow workers with these people. Uh, the, now, the DVDers are regular monthly guys, right? And Skype for the other. Yes. Okay, enough of that. All right. Fellow workers. And you will share in the blessing. Fellow workers with the truth. First Corinthians 3 8. I love this. He plants, he waters a one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. David was going out to battle. Some stayed by the stuff. The rest of the battle. Came back to buy the spoil. And they said, okay, these guys have stayed and watched the stuff get the same amount. The warriors were upset. They were wounded. They were tired. They'd been fighting. Maybe they had some losses. And there's these guys sitting back there clipping their fingernails watching the baggage. He said, no. They're as vital to the battle as you are. And those who give, those who stay and give are as vital as those who go and receive. We're a team. And God 
blesses, the one who plants and waters, and we all rejoice to see the crop. We love hearing stories of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. I take my team, my team our, our elders go as a team to, to get for the gospel what happens every other year, one 2014, in Louisville, Kentucky. The last year they had one, it was called, here's a theme, never underestimate the power of the gospel. You get a little rubber thing to wear your wrist, so you get it out of the place that things held, and it says, never underestimate the power of the gospel. T4G, together for the gospel. We wore that the whole time. One of my elders, Matt White, still wears his. He reminded. And they would have people come up and give testimonies to start every session. And I, I wish I had time. I wish I had a DVD to show you. Unbelievable testimonies of how these folks came to faith in Christ in parts of the world you wouldn't imagine. And I went there saying, I'm never going to estimate the power of the gospel again. What am I saying? Some of these unbelievable testimonies can have a kernel of value because you put money to them. What a great opportunity we have. These, these might be dated. I'm closing. I really am. Every two seconds. And this is kind of old. I tried to get some more relevant information. This is the best I could find. So either this or it's worse. Every two seconds. Every second, I should say, every second, two people are born. Or two people die, I'm sorry. Every second, two people die and four people are born. Is that not an accurate story? Okay. Close to 400,000 people will be born tomorrow who will never hear the gospel at the present rate we're evangelizing. If we would freeze the world's population right now, no one else is born, no one else would die. It would take 4,000 years to reach the people to evangelize. How vital it is to send our best and to do our best to those who we don't know, strangers who've gone out for the sake of the it would be ironic if today you were here, all we talked about was the gospel and the power of the gospel and you're sitting here without Christ. Let me give you a, a capsule. I call it the ABC. It's not theologically it's deeper than this, but this will work. How do you get saved? A, acknowledge. In God's eyes, you're a sinner who can do nothing to please him. Everything you do righteously are filthy rags. Understand that the wage of sin is death. So accept the fact that you're a sinner and the wage of sin is death. That's not just a heart stopping. That's eternal separation from God in a horrible place called the lake of fire. B, believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, his passive obedience, and died on the cross as active obedience that everyone who puts their faith in him can be saved and not die. I said last night, not die in your sin. I said last night, I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin put on the cross. God's righteousness put to our account when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then see, call upon him, confess him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a precious promise that is.
I had some folks leave my church recently, new ones that joined, so I'm going to start putting a membership in just a spiral thing, maybe electronics, and just keep track of it. They left it, so you believe in election. I said, of course I do, that's what the Bible says. But I also believe that whosoever will may come. How do you know if you're one of God's chosen? Very simple. Trust Christ, that cements that you are. Turn your back and say, I'm not going to believe the gospel. You'll die without Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's our message. That's their message. 